And may the blessing of Almighty God be in your heart and on your lips and might worthily proclaim the gospel, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to the making of gospel sandwiches, our friend Mark is the best sandwich maker there is. So what's a gospel sandwich? So gospel sandwich is one of these literary forms that shows up every once in a while, mostly in Mark's gospel, where he takes one perfectly good story and he kind of slices it in half and opens it up and slips in between the two halves of that story yet another story seemingly completely independent and not connected at all to the other two or to the other story beginning and end. And that's what he does this morning in the gospel. He takes the wonderful story, beautiful on its own merits, of the beautiful little girl, the daughter of Jairus, of the synagogue, who is sick unto death, and he eventually heals her, and he cuts that story in half and sort of leaves the second half for later. Meanwhile, he goes on to tell this seemingly unrelated story of the hemorrhagic woman who is bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and stretches out her hand to touch just the hem of Jesus' cloak so that she can be healed both beautiful stories all kinds of magnificent details any one of them worthy of a, of a Sunday homily yet you kind of have to ask what is Mark up to here what's he doing why does he use this strange little form of literary form of the gospel sandwich to make some kind of point here well, I guess you could say the first obvious explanation would be that he's being a faithful narrator, a good reporter of what actually happened. That he has first-hand witnesses or witnessed it himself and saw that this is exactly how it happened. First there was Jairus and then there was the, the, the woman and then there was the little girl being raised from death. That's the way it happened. But that's not very likely because we know that the gospel writers, people like Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, didn't weren't interested in reporting facts and narrative as if it's a newspaper report. That wasn't their point. The point was to tell the story and the stories of Jesus so that people would be touched and inspired and, and their hearts would be open to see him as he truly is. So that first explanation, yeah, probably not the best. So then what's going on? Much more likely is that Mark sees a connection between these two stories that is powerful and, and brings them together and makes it a kind of a natural fit that one should rest within the other. So what could those be? Well, one possibility is that both the people who receive the healing touch of God in these stories are women. And if you know anything about the culture and the society of Jesus' time, you know that women were not even second-class citizens. They were not even citizens at all. They had no standing in society. They were, there were men, you know, they were the top. And then somewhere down below women, the men, there were the women, and then there were the children, and then there were the animals. That's kind of how the society worked. And there was a big gap between the men at the top and the next level down women. So 
Jesus is going out to women and bringing the grace of God to women in a powerful way. In a sense, he's saying, I don't care about that social norm. I don't care about how society grades people or puts them in their classes. My grace, my ministry, the grace of God is for anyone and everyone, including women and children. So that's one possibility. Both stories deal with women. Second possibility is that both stories deal with people who are ritually impure according to Jewish law. So this is a little more specific than just society in general. But the woman with the flow of blood, she is, she is untouchable because of that flow of blood. You know, no one is supposed to go near her. She's not supposed to go near anyone because she's ritually impure. It's kind of hard for our times to understand that, but it was really, really deep and strong belief part of the, the Jewish system. They had all kinds of rituals for restoring your, your ritual purity so that you could pray to God and you could be with other people and you could go to the temple or the synagogue. Otherwise, you were cut off from God and you were cut off from anybody who wanted to be with God. It was really an awful situation to be in. So the hemorrhagic woman, she's impure because of the flow of blood. And the poor little girl is impure, ritually impure, because she's dead. You weren't allowed to touch a dead person. And if you did, you became ritually impure and you had to go do all kinds of ritual baths to cleanse yourself again. So that's the second possibility, is that Jesus is breaking through that very specific custom and tradition and spiritual reality of the Jewish religion and saying, I don't care about ritual impurity. The grace of God, the love of God, the healing gift of God is for everybody, even the ritually impure. And in a sense, he's a prophet here. He's breaking down the established idea and notions of his time. Very powerful. And Mark may be making that point. Or perhaps Mark is just, just sees a beautiful coherence between the two people who appeal to him for his healing blessing. Jairus, the synagogue leader, the father of the child, who very politely, but no less sincerely, goes to Jesus and asks him first for his healing grace to touch his child. What an extraordinarily humble, in his need, and trusting man is this. The same with the woman. She's not nearly so polite. She doesn't even ask first. She just presumes that if she can touch the very hem of Jesus, then that healing grace will be passed on to her as well. Also a person who in her need, humbly and with extraordinary trust in the presence of God in Jesus, accesses, even without permission, his grace, his love, his healing blessing. So maybe that's it. Any three of those explanations are perfectly good and make sense and probably kind of true. But there may be something else going on here. There's a hunch maybe that at a deeper level, Mark is doing something extraordinary here with this, this telling of two stories, one wrapped around the other, this gospel sandwich, if you will. What may be happening is that Mark wants his readers to feel 
in their bones, to feel in their hearts, to feel in their minds what's happening here in the larger picture with Jesus. That, that this extraordinary grace of God is flowing out of him in such great abundance and it's touching so many people and it's, and it's flowing out over nature even. That, that people are being touched by it and the miracles and the blessings and the graces are happening with such speed and such extraordinary munificence that, that, that he can't get through one story before he's telling another one. It's all happening too fast and it's happening wonderfully and he wants us to feel just how extraordinary it is that, that Jesus brings to his people and to his world the grace of God like a fountain flowing out over them. And he wants us to be awed at that and to kind of have our breath taken away. One gift after another, after another, after another, after another. And there's some evidence in the gospel itself that that's what Mark is trying to do for us as we read these stories. You know, first there's, there's the calming of the sea and then there's the healing of that awful demoniac across the waters on the other side. And then there's this Jairus story and then there's this woman with the flow of blood story. And all of a sudden we get Jesus heading back to his hometown and we had a chance to take a breath and say, oh, and with the people of his hometown, Nazareth, we can't help but ask, who is this guy anyway? And Mark is telling us who he is. He's telling us that in Jesus, the grace of God, the love of God, the godness of God, the very godness of God is flowing like a river over us all leaving us awed at it all. One gift, blessing, grace, after another, after another, after another. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so magnificent. It's such a wonderful experience to feel for ourselves through Mark's gospel. What a blessed gift Jesus and his graces to the people of his time and of course to our own time. The American writer Annie Dillard, some of you may know her books, wrote long, long time ago in one of her early books. And she described what she described. She said, this is, this is what it is like between human beings and God. God is like a waterfall a waterfall of grace, of life, of goodness, of blessings, showering down upon us all, showering endlessly down upon us all. And we're underneath the waterfall with a little tin cup, and we're not pleased that all we can get of God's grace is what we can hold in that cup, for, forgetting that we're standing under the waterfall itself being washed and blessed and refreshed and renewed. And Mark would agree with that. He would say that's a perfect image of what I'm trying to do here. That all it takes for us to access the grace of God is, is what those people had in these stories. In our need, in our want, in our thirst, 
in our brokenness, in our limitations, we nevertheless are being blessed by the fountain of grace that comes forth from Jesus. And all we need to do in humility and need and trust is to stretch out our hand and touch Jesus and let him touch us and all will be well. Such is the grace of God in Jesus.